Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 36. So Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. So go ahead and find that. And our passage is a lengthy passage this morning. So we're going to go from verse, or Matthew 24, verse 36, all the way through Matthew 25, verse 13. And so as you're turning there, I, I want to share... Uh, the story about you. And I, I gotta be honest, I've waited for years to use this illustration in a sermon. Um, so I'm very excited about this and it's even more excited because I found out more details than I had known prior to uh, my study and my research for that. But I want to tell you about a man, a gentleman named Edgar Wisenant. Now, Edgar was a, a former NASA engineer, a, a brilliant mathematician, but he was also a student, self-taught student of the Bible. And he was fascinated and consumed with the end times, particularly the rapture. And so using his mathematical skills along with scripture, he confidently published a book in 1988 titled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is Going to Happen in 1988. Now listen here, he sent 300,000 copies completely free of charge to pastors and ministries across the country. But 4.5 million copies were bought and sold worldwide. Did you catch that? 4.5 million copies were sold of 88 reasons why Jesus is going to return in 1988. Now, it's obviously after 1988, and we know that Jesus did not return. And so Edgar had a problem in his hand. So he went back to his math and realized that with a calendar mess up, that he had messed up the calculations. So he wrote a sequel to his book titled this, The Final Shout, The Rapture Report for 1989. And he was predicting that the rapture would occur and happen in 1989. Now, when that didn't happen, he went back to the books and he went and he studied more and more and he wrote a trilogy to his books titled 23 Reasons Why a Pre-Tribulation Rapture Looks Like It Will Occur in Rosh Hashanah in 1993, predicting that the rapture was going to happen that year. And even after that did not happen, he wrote his fourth book, titled, And Now the Earth's Destruction by Fire, a Nuclear Bomb Fire. And he predicted that the world was going to be destroyed in 1994. Needless to say, none of these came true. Um, none of his predictions, none of his prophecies that he felt that God's word was saying. And, and, and catch this, he was so confident in all this, he was quoted as saying, only if the Bible is in error am I wrong. And I say that to every preacher in town. Only if the Bible is in error could he be wrong. Unfortunately, Mr. Edgar was wrong and he completely has been dismissed um, for his, his prophecies and his, his skills of, of understanding the Bible through math. Um, and so in his defense, though, 4.5 million people were interested enough to purchase this book because the interest and level of towards knowing and understanding the end times is important to a lot of people. Uh, even within our church, the most popular attended Wednesday night study that we've had at least in the past six years was when we did the study on the book of Revelations. 
and it was our most popular attended study that we had here because people want to know what the end times look like. They want to hear. And so though our text speaks to the end times, it is not the focus of the passage. And so where the, the study of the theological study of end times, which is called eschatology, um, and, and it's all its different stances for, based on the, on the millennium and the timing of the rapture um, are important to, to study and to look to. God is very clear that is not the highest priority, but what the priority is what we should be doing up to that time. And so our text is very long, so bear with me and read along with me because that's crucial in our understanding of, to read it it's in its entirety um, for our sermon today. So read with me Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding on the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house been broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. When is the faithful... Who is the, is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, and the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet with their bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there would not be enough for us, for you for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in to him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. After the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. 
Watch therefore, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. See, our text this morning is smack to have in the middle of a larger context about end times. Jesus is explaining to his disciples and the, and the body of, of, that's there is following him and trying to explain what the end times, what to be looking for. But right in the middle of, the, of that conversation, he makes it very, very clear at for, uh, chapter 24, verse 36, where he says this, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. He makes it very clear throughout the, our passage this morning that no one's going to know the hour. He says it multiple times over. The master will return when you're not expecting. If he knew, he would have been prepared, right? But no one knows the hour of Jesus' return. No one knows the hour, the time, or the day of when this is going to happen. But Jesus is saying, saying, listen to me, because no one's going to know you must always be ready. You must be ready to, to give an account and to, to step forward. And so he, he likens the, the coming, the return of God um, to the story of Noah. So let's do a little Bible study recap here on the story of Noah. God comes and speaks to Noah and tells him that he's going to destroy the entire earth with a flood and that he was supposed to build this giant ark and that God is, has found favor in Noah and he's going to save him and his family. But the ark needs to be big enough because he's also going to bring two of every kind of animals uh, with some additional animals as well. And God sends the rain. It never rained before. They weren't near a body of water, but God sends this, this flood and floods the entire earth, saving Noah and his family and the existence of animals. And that's typically the kid's Sunday school version of the story that we tell. Uh, we even decorate nurseries uh, with a, a cute little precious moments, Noah and animals on the ark, and there's a rainbow and sit on the water. But have you ever asked yourself, what about the rest of humankind? What about the rest of the people that were there with Noah? Those that were mocking Noah for building this ark. You see, while Noah's family was preparing, they didn't know when it was going to happen, but God told them to prepare, and they did. They got to work and started building the ark. While that was happening, the rest of the people just went about their normal life. Look at verse 38 with me. It says this, They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming Son of Man. See, Jesus is defining reality for us. He, he's having a, a hard conversation. Here's the bottom line fact. The Son of Man is going to return. A rapture is coming. And so as followers of Jesus, we will enter into glory for eternity for either two ways, either through our death of our physical body or through the rapture of Jesus' return. That's the hope that all believers have to look forward to. But what about the other people in your life? What about those that you work with, those who are your neighbors, your friends, um, people that you see at the, the grocery store, people that are the families at your kids' sport games, the guys that you play golf with, 
um, the ladies that you, you go and hang out with and have lunch with, what, what about these people that we interact with? Are they ready for Christ's return? See, we, we do not know the timing. We do not know when this is going to take place. But we do know the harsh reality. It is coming. Either people are going to meet their end by death or believers are going to be raptured up to heaven. Look with me at verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Those who do not have a relationship with Jesus, those who have not entered into the life-changing salvation only found through Jesus Christ will be left at the time of the rapture. You see, in the, the two parables that Jesus shares here, the first parable of the wicked servant, he says this, he goes about life um, as normal and, and, and keeps life centered and focused on him, not looking towards his other servants. He actually beats them, is, that, is what it says in the text. But he goes about focusing solely on himself, eating and drinking and just having normal life. No concern about the future. And in the end, he goes to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, the story of the, vir the parable of the virgins, the five foolish virgins um, were left behind from the marriage feast because they were gone. They were not prepared. They were not ready. So when the bridegroom came, when Jesus came, because Jesus is our bridegroom, and he is going to be married and draw, bring back his church for the marriage feast. This is the, the reunification that we have that takes place with Jesus and the church at the time of the rapture. He's going to bring his church and then the door will be closed. And then it says in our text, when they knock on the door and say, let us in, Jesus looks at them and says, truly, truly, I do not know you. We don't like to talk about this and we don't like to admit this, but the reality is those who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus are going to go to hell. They are gonna spend eternity in a place that is described as weeping and gnashing of teeth. They are gonna spend eternity away from God. So what do we have for us? See, because apart from the redeeming work of Jesus' death on the cross, we can have nothing to do with the holy God. See, it's our sin. It's, it's, it's our sin that separates us from a holy God. And there is nothing that we can bring us back together in our own strength. There's nothing that can help us to re rejoin back with the holy God because our sin has marked us and kept us separated from him. But God, to bridge the gap to us, sent his son, Jesus. Jesus, who, who never sinned. He, he didn't lie. He didn't steal. He didn't cheat or, or any other sin. Completely blameless. Took our penalty for sin because the Bible is very clear. The wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is death. But it was on that cross that Jesus paid it in full for all those who would believe in him. Confessing 
their sin and recognizing their need for our Lord and Savior. It is only then when we are able to take this, our sin guilt off of us and we put on the righteousness of Jesus through that decision that we can have a relationship back with God, that we can be true followers of Jesus. That's the gospel. That is the greatest news ever that we have, that, that even while yet we were sinners, Jesus died for us and loved us so that we could have a relationship once again with God. Now, for those of you who don't have a relationship and those of you who are listening today that say, Josh, I have got questions. I want to know more of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. We would love to be able to connect with you. And so we're, we're going to encourage you. There's, there's, there's several ways to reach out to us. You can call our church office um, or email us and you can get all those details on our church website. But the easiest way to get hold of us is to grab your cell phone and text the word changing to 94000. That's changing to 94000. That's not the only way to get hold of us, but that is the easiest way because we will receive that text message. And when we get that, we will re respond back to you as quickly as possible um, and schedule a time to, to talk with you and meet with you and answer any questions that you have because it is our deepest desire that you recognize and get to experience the life-changing hope of Jesus. We want all people to know Jesus Christ. We want them to enter into this saving relationship with him so that you won't be left behind, that you will be ready for Christ's return. So please don't hesitate, reach out to us. We love to be able to talk with you. Now for the believers and the followers of Jesus, oh, what does that mean for us? How do we make sure that we are, are ready? Like, so we, we experience our salvation and we know that our, our hope is our, of eternity is secured. But right here in the middle, in the moment of today, this week, this year, what are we to do in these, in these times? How are we to be ready as the, the, the five wise virgins and the, the wise servant in our parables? How are we to live like them? So let's look at our text. The wise servant, what was he doing? It says here in our text that he had food ready and he had everybody around him ready to receive the master at his arrival. He didn't know when he was coming, but they were going to be ready when he showed up. He was fully anticipating his return. And that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. As followers of Jesus, we are anticipating that Jesus is going to return one day. And we are preparing not only our own hearts of serving him, but we're trying to prepare those around us to be ready and anticipating our Lord and Savior's return. But also look at the example of the five wise virgins. See, they were not caught off guard by the, their masters, the bridegroom's delay. They weren't caught off guard, right? They came prepared. They brought extra flasks of oil so they would be ready for what came ahead of them. And so we have to be ready. We have to actively engage and look forward to it and anticipate the Lord's return. And this is what we are to do to prepare not only our own hearts and ourselves, but those around us. See, we've been given the great privilege to share the gospel, the good news of our salvation with those around us. I want to share a verse with you. It's Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. See, we talked earlier about what the gospel is. It is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the greatest news in the entire world. That even while we were sinners, even amongst our mess and our garbage, Jesus died for us. He knew the worst thing that we would ever do, yet still willingly died on the cross to restore us back to a right relationship with God. Given us this opportunity to be reunited with Him. We are no longer slaves to our sin, no longer going back to our sinful ways, but we pursue the righteousness found only in Jesus. So we are not to be ashamed of the gospel because we understand that it is the power of salvation, yet we are to share this salvation and the gospel with everyone around us. So who are we to share the gospel with? I firmly believe that God has called each of us, you and me, to share the gospel with those in our sphere of influence. And let me explain what I mean by that. I mean my sphere of influence is that every man, woman, and child where you live, work, and play. Every man, woman, and child where you live, work, and play, God has placed you in their lives with the, for the opportunity to proclaim His love and truth to them. See, these are your neighbors, your coworkers, your clients, friends, and family. Because here's the bottom line. Every man, woman, and child will stand before a holy God. And he's either going to say, welcome, my child, or depart from me, for I do not know you. See, when we put that into reality, when we put that in the forefront of our minds, that changes our perspective of how we look at people. We no longer look at people what you can do for me, but we look at people in light of their eternity. Are we willing to go and look at them in light of their eternity and share the gospel with them? Because again, God has uniquely placed you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, to create opportunities to share the gospel with those around you. So yes, this includes the mean lady next door that has way too many dogs that bark all the time. It means the, the grumpy man down the road who yells at your kids for just being loud in kids. It also means your workplace buddy that you hang out and goof off with and those who are above you and below you on the corporate work ladder. See, God could have placed you anywhere. You could live in a completely different state, a different neighborhood, completely different house. You could work at a completely different job, but God saw it fit to place you in your neighborhood, in your house, and then in your job at this moment for such a time as this. He wants you to glorify Him by proclaiming His love to those around you. So the next time that you're in your neighborhood and you're driving by, as you're driving past the houses, no longer look at them, the houses of, of just day-to-day -day neighbors, but look at them as opportunities to share God's light with and His love with. Look at your coworkers as not people who may annoy you or get frustrated you, but look for opportunities to be able to share his love and proclaim the gospel with them. 
See, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes concerning about this. It's, it's also in the book of Romans um, in chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they do not believe? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That someone is us. It's you and it's me. We are to share the love of Jesus with others. Because how are they to hear? How are the people in our lives to hear about the life-changing hope found only in Jesus if we don't share it with them? See, again, God has given each follower of Jesus a platform. And that is to proclaim His love with others. And we have a choice to either use that platform or waste it. See, I want to share uh, this, this letter um, that I have. Um, in my, during my freshman year of, of college, the very first week of college um, in our, our focus groups, they had us write letters to ourselves. And I just, God had done a, a great work in my life the year before, and so I wrote a very challenging letter to myself to make sure that I was continuing to follow God and continuing to pursue Him. And I wrote something, and it was mailed to me the very last week of my freshman year. Um, and it was very convicting to me at the time. And I want to share these words with you. So I'm, I'm reading my, the actual letter here. And it says this, We are called to be the salt of the world. So give the world some flavor, or you're just wasting God's time. See, this was a call out to me. This was a reminder that Josh... As a follower of Christ, we are called to be the salt and light of the world. We are to be out there and living differently for the sole purpose of sharing God's love with others. And if we aren't giving the world some flavor, and if we aren't shining the light back towards Jesus, then we're truly just wasting time. See, time is too precious to wait. We do not know when our Lord Jesus will return. We are ex anticipating it. We are joyfully expecting it. And we are to live in a manner as if he will return at any moment. And we want to bring as many people as possible with us to hear, welcome my child, enter into my gates, into glory and eternity with me. That is the call of each and every believer. Will you step into that call with me? Will you go and live out the gospel where you live, work, and play, sharing the life-changing hope with every man, woman, and child? Will you pray with me? Father God, um, we thank you for the relationship that we have with you. We thank you for allowing us to enter into salvation through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. And God, as we, we close our sermon today, Father, I pray that um, people don't feel this as an attack or accusations against them, Father, but um, they know that I'm preaching to myself as much as, as much as I am preaching to them. Lord, that your word calls us and challenges us, convicts us to share your love with others. So Father God, we ask for opportunities to proclaim your truth. Lord, help us to be 
the salt and light of the world where we live, work, and play. We ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.